Hello, listeners. Welcome to Season 5 of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award-winning author and host of the show. Every other Thursday, I chat with an author writing on the not-so-gritty end of the crime fiction spectrum. If you prefer your mystery without hardcore sex and violence, join us in the cozy corner. Welcome. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. R.J. Lee joins me in the corner today to chat about The King Falls, the fourth A Bridge to Death mystery. Welcome, R.J. Glad to be here with you today. Would you please introduce us to your sleuth, Wendy Winchester Rearson, and tell us what she's up to this time out? Yes, she uh, she began uh, life as a journalism major and. Uh, wouldn't you know it, the first job that she got on a newspaper was as the social columnist writing up weddings and baby showers. And there's nothing wrong with that. Somebody has to do that. And that's fine. Life goes on. But she wants something more important. She wants to do something more important with her journalism degree. She thinks she could be a very good investigative reporter because She's dating a detective on the police force. His name is Ross Rearson, and her father is the chief of police. So she's got some savant sort of crime-solving, puzzle-solving genes in there somewhere. Her father wants her to actually join the force, but she doesn't care for guns. So, uh, <laughs> so, so what she decides to do is convince her stodgy editor of the paper in Rosalie, Mississippi. This is a deep South River port. It's actually uh, a slightly tweaked version of my hometown of Natchez on the Mississippi. And so she wants to convince her stodgy editor who believes, and I know this seems like impossible in this day and time, but her stodgy old school editor believes men should do men's news and women should do women's news, whatever that means. And I mean, there are probably still people like that, but we don't, we won't go into detail. We'll just say that something happens to Wendy in the very first novel, The Grand Slam Murders, which determines where she is now. Uh, four, four novels later, we get The King Falls. But I'm going to give you just a little bit of backstory, not too much. But um, Wendy also wants to learn the game of bridge in addition to proving herself as a as an investigative tough reporter who can do more than baby showers. And she's learning how to play bridge at the, um, at the side of an exclusive uh, bridge club of four wealthy widows who won't let anybody else in, but they're going to consider her uh, as a substitute. And wouldn't you believe, or would you believe that these four ladies who made many enemies because they're so exclusive, are simultaneously poisoned at one of their bridge luncheons. At the same time, their coffee has been poisoned. And uh, Wendy, of course, is devastated because she no longer has a bridge club and she's gotten to know these ladies. Something about them. And she decides to go after solving the murder along with her husband and her uh, police chief father. They do the official investigation. She on the side, 
does an interview supposedly about what these women meant to the community, but she does a lot of digging around and gets some angles that the police don't get. So she solves that murder. She gets a, a, a promotion as an to an investigative reporter, and in books two and three, she further presents herself as a sleuth, an amateur sleuth with all sorts of gifts. And by the time we get to the King Falls, she has formed her own bridge club. She is teaching bridge. She has become a bridge guru. And the opening of the King Falls is quite interesting. One of her pupils uh, is a, uh, a successful young real estate magnet, he and his father. And he's famous for throwing elaborate bridge parties. And she's gotten an invitation to it. His name is, and don't chuckle here, but his real name is Campbell King Cole. Not C-O-L-E, King Cole, K-O-H-L. So, and some people said, ah, can you get away with that? And I said, yeah, because I'm a fiction writer and I can get away with anything. <laughs> and so. Plus it's Mississippi. And so there probably is a King Cole somewhere. <laughs> You know people and their names in the Deep South. I mean, you can name your kids anything and after anybody, and that's the way it's done. Nobody says anything. So anyway, King Cole has invited her and some other people in the community to this elaborate bridge party. But the very next day or, or the day before the bridge party is to take place, she gets a text from King saying, I'm calling it off. I want to talk to you in person. I was going to make an important announcement. I'm going to make it to you in person, and I'm going to tell you why I'm calling off the bridge party. So she dutifully goes to his house and just in time to find his main real estate rival, whom, whom King has just driven out of business, rushing out the front door. His name is Marcus Silvertree. And Mr. Silvertree, out of breath, says to Wendy, He's dead. Someone's killed him. He's dead in there in his office. I didn't do it. I found him that way. I got a text saying to come to his office. And she says, so did I. So this is all too convenient. That sounds like a setup for, for, for Marcus. And it sounds like a setup for Wendy to be the witness. Their texts were uh, timing like five minutes apart. Come at 9.05, come at 9.10. You know, so so all sorts of things start happening, happening, being the womanizer that he is. King Cole has all sorts of, of broken hearts, women that he's dated, women that he almost married. And they all fall in line as suspects. And at the same time, his mother, Ethel, who is rapidly developing some for, some a form of dementia, is convinced she killed him. It's so bizarre. That whole stream is in there. And her husband and King's father said, no, my dear, you didn't kill your, our son. You didn't do that. So Wendy starts doing her usual investigations on this one, along with her husband and her chief of police uh, father. Now, I want to tell you something because I did an interview with a chief of police up here in Oxford. And she, being a married woman, uh, was willing to answer this question for me. I said, listen, I want you to tell me something honestly so I can do this right for my fourth novel. When a detective or a law enforcement officer of either gender comes home at the end of the day, do they 
sometimes leak things that they shouldn't to their spouse just out of frustration. And she said, oh, yeah, you better believe it. I tell my husband things I should not tell him. And and so what I'm trying to say here is that Wendy, though she's not a police officer, is able to get little things out of her husband and her father that other people would not get. So she gets uh, the best of both worlds, her own smarts, and also the fact that uh, she is connected, well-connected to the law enforcement officers of Rosalie, Mississippi, which is uh, a typical old South Riverport, wide open, laid back, full of secrets. <clears throat> that was a long answer, wasn't it? <laughs> it was it was a good answer though um and it, it brings up something that um uh you know I, i'd like to ask about it's does she use her because she is an investigative reporter so in addition to being married to and descended from law enforcement officers does she sort of use her investigative reporter skills to maybe sort of uh, get people to tell her things that you know they wouldn't necessarily tell the law enforcement that's right and one of the things that she can do that her that the men cannot do is she can kind of and I don't mean this in a bad way, but she's she's a redhead just like I am. So she can she <laughs> she's got that wildness and she can ask a question and crack a smile and look at people a certain way. And because she's from a social family also, she knows how to connect with people socially. And she can use that as a way to get information about people's characters and get to secrets that men, if men did this, they might be accused of harassment. But she knows how to walk the fine line between regular journalism and just being a social creature. Oh, yes, I loved your mother so much. Oh, I loved your grandmother so much. Now, can you tell me this? And she goes from there. And so I think. She's a new kind of, of heroine. She's a 20-something, and she wants to do something uh, short of joining law enforcement. And so throughout the series, you'll see her grow. In the first book, she's dating her husband-to-be. In the second book, they get engaged. In the third book, she gets married. In the fourth book, she's trying to get pregnant. But throughout all of this, she's solving crimes, and then usually up. Uh, of the social elite in the community that are going down. So that's kind of a different angle. Uh, speaking of the social elite uh, and bridge clubs, bridge clubs are very exclusive, um, hard to get into. My my aunt has been in the same bridge club, I think longer than I've been alive. Um, and it's it's an event, you know, it's, it's, it's catered. Um, I, I'm assuming they actually play cards somewhere in there, but I think that's not even the point. Uh, so what, what is it about bridge clubs that, um, I mean, they're, they're like little mini social clubs. What's, what's special about bridge clubs? They, they are their own little kingdoms. That's what I like to say. My parents taught me when I was a teenager, I was 15, and it served me well throughout my, my life. And almost five years ago, I live here in Oxford, Mississippi. I joined a bridge club for the first time in many years. And I met at all at once, like 35 new people. Now they came in couples, but they also came as widowers and widows and that sort of thing. It is a social game where if you play long enough with people, you'll find out everything about them, whether you want to or not. They'll tell you where they're going on vacation, how their hips are, how their knees are, 
how their daughter's doing, how their grandson's doing, how they, it's just a wonderful place for a writer to be. Now, I'm going to tell you a little anecdote that I think is so funny. The first day I joined the Bridge Club here in Oxford, Mississippi, I told them the basic plot of the first novel, Grand Slam Murders. I said, there are, uh, the basic plot is that four wealthy widows are simultaneously poisoned at one of their exclusive bridge luncheons. And I promise all of you right now that I did not come here to do research. <laughs> I did not come here to do a trial run. <laughs> they all laughed. And, and, uh, and the, immediately I started connecting with them. Bridge also, I, I would say this about Bridge. It keeps you mentally sharp because it's a very challenging game. There are all sorts of gambits. There are all sorts of openings. There are all sorts of ways to bid. And you come to know the style of certain people in a bridge club. Like, oh, she always overbids. Oh, she underbids. Oh, she's aggressive. Oh, she's always passive. And that can affect your play once you know how that person, what their style is. Unlike poker, where you're supposed to keep a poker face and you're not supposed to do any tells. People don't care in bridge. People will talk and they'll gossip and do all sorts of things. Now that's social bridge, which is what I play. And I also belong to the American contract bridge league, which is duplicate bridge. And that's very different. That's very organized and very, very, uh, what I would say, tight knit. And, and you're not supposed to do a lot of talking. You're not supposed to do a lot of, of extraneous stuff. You're supposed to get on with the play. But anyway, all sorts of, of uh, bridge, all, all sorts of bridge games are played. I was hoping when I started this thing uh, four, four years ago that it would uh, renew interest in bridge. I will be honest enough to tell you that wherever I have played bridge across the country as I've toured with my books, I have found that people that are playing are generally older rather than younger. But that is not, I don't want to be a stereotypical person here. There are younger people that are playing, and I think it's a wonderful game. It's a challenging game, and uh, I can't quit it. I can't. I can't. <laughs> so, um, can you give us a, a brief uh, rundown or primer of? of how bridges played um, for those of us who aren't familiar with the game. I mean, I've, I, I've, I've heard of it and I think I took two bridge lessons, but that's the extent of my knowledge other than it was always easy to buy presents for my aunt. Cause I just buy her a, you know, a bridge set yes. with a scoring pad. <laughs> I know. Listen, let me say this. Now that you told me about your aunt, you must get, get her a set of these books because I know she'll love them. But what I want to say is this um, uh, bridge. You do not have to play bridge in order to understand these novels or solve the crimes. However, there are some pointers here and there that I put in the series. For instance, it's played with four people per table. Uh, you start off with a point count. Every ace counts four points, every king three, every queen two, every jack one point. And you are dealt a hand at random. And if you have 13 to 14 points, mostly high card points, you are allowed or supposed to open and you're supposed to bid. You either bid, bid a suit, like for instance, if you have four or five cards in one suit, then that's the suit you will bid at the one level. If, if for instance, you have five hearts and you have the ace, queen, little, 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 
you might open with one heart because you have 14 points. Your partner who sits opposite you has to respond to you. And in order to respond, they should have like six, at least six to nine points. If they have your suit, they can support you. If they have another suit, then they can answer in that suit. They can say two spades or something. Now there is another variant of bridge. You can either bid clubs are, are the lowest suit, then diamonds, then hearts, then spades. There's one level above that. It's called no trump. And a no trump hand is one where where it's the, the points are evenly distributed. Like you've got 15 to 17, 16 to 18 points. You can open them with one no trump. That means you have point count across all of the suits and you have even distribution. So anyway, the point is to get to a game of 100 points. If you win a game, you get 300 points. If you win two games in a row, that's a 700 rubber is the word that's used. And basically what you're trying to do is, as I said, get 100 points. Every trick in the minor suits is worth 20 points. Every trick in the major suits is worth 30 points. And so you try to get to 100 before the opposition does. So that's basically it. Over time, you learn a lot of little tricks about bidding and what not to bid. Um, it's based on the old English game of whist, W-H-I-S-T. So it's been around since the 14 or 1500s in England. It came across the ocean with those people. And uh, it has developed over time into a tremendous uh, standby for people on a social level. And I just decided that it hadn't been overdone in the mystery genre. There are a lot of mysteries about food and travel and sports and all of that stuff. I don't think anybody had ever done an entire series based on the game of bridge. But again, you don't have to play bridge to understand it understand the game, understand the books. And with all that uh, communicating you have to do and, and all the strategizing, you know, mixed in with, you know, all, 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 the, all the gossip and things, you can certainly see why that lends itself to crime fiction. Um, and I know there's, there is, I mean, not, not a series, but Agatha Christie did write Cards on the Table, which centers around bridge. And I think there was also an Ellery Queen that was a bridge-themed one. That's uh, absolutely correct. Um, do you have any other uh, favorite bridge-themed short stories or or mysteries? It's just so interesting that you mentioned because I've read everything that Agatha Christie has ever written, including Cards on the Table. And I remember the plot of Cards on the Table. She took that one uh, shot at a bridge-themed mystery, but I'm just trying to think if if I can think of any others that have been written. And so... Uh, when I told my editor at Kensington uh, four or five years ago that I wanted to take a shot at writing mysteries because my father had written them after the Second World War in New York. He'd written crime fiction and I wanted to kind of follow in his footsteps. And my editor said, OK, what's going to be your overarching theme? And I said, how about the game of bridge? And he said, oh, I don't think we've ever done that before. And maybe I can learn how to play bridge. And I said, well, Probably not by reading my novels. <laughs> you still need to take lessons. And um, uh, he, he laughed. And I don't think he still knows how to play bridge. But um, that's the thing. You know, uh, playing 
learning how to play music or to sing or a language, they all should start. The earlier you start to do any of those things, the better off you are. You probably know that, 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 that a young student is much better off learning French or Spanish or piano or voice or whatever it is or playing in the band younger rather than later because later on your brain is full of life life experiences disappointments triumphs successes a lot in there by that time and uh, i know you know what i'm talking about because anybody that's not 12 <laughs> knows how quickly your brain fills up with all sorts of things that you have to process so um anyway uh, i learned bridge as a teenager i learned piano at the age of five uh, and uh, I, I took French in uh, in high school and in college, so I can speak it a little bit and read it much better than I speak it. But that's kind of off the subject. I'm just saying the sooner you learn something like that, uh, the better it is. And it's, it's hooked me for life. Oh, I have another anecdote that I think you'll like. Um, when I got to college, I still had the bridge jonesing. I was always wanting to play. So in the dorm, I found three other guys that could play bridge. Now, if I tried to use this in one of my novels, my editor would say, you can't do this. People won't believe this. All three of those guys that I played bridge with in the dorm were named Steve. Three Steves and me. I mean, pe people call me Rob, RJ Lee, and that's Robert, Rob. And so if I did that, or if any writer tried to do that, they'll say, you can't get away with that. Your readers are not going to believe that you have three best, best friends and they're all named Mary. You can't do that. <laughs> but it happened. And they were all good bridge players and, and they kept me alive in the game of bridge. So anyway. I, I should say, if they don't believe it, just remind them there's a movie called Heathers for a reason. <laughs> hey, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> now, it, it, you, you've talked about how you started uh, uh, to play bridge as a teenager, um, and you started piano early, but it also sounds like you had some exposure to uh, uh, mystery fiction early. So, what, what are some of your what did. what did your father write? Well, um, he he started out in New York because he was decorated uh, as a he got the distinguished flying cross in the Pacific Theater as a as a as a pilot, and so at that point after the war was over. New York was alive. Everything lit back up. Talk about Paris, but so did New York. The lights came back on. And we all were tired of death and we were all tired of destruction. So they wanted people who could write about how we beat the Japanese in the Pacific. Well, there were about two people in the world that could do that. My father was one because he also was an English major. He could write and he survived the war. So he wrote fighter pilot stories a lot, but then he's, he went um, into the genre uh, that is now called Pulp Fiction detective work, you know, like the Sam Spade stuff. Yeah. And he's, I remember the first uh, short story of his that I read when I got old enough to read and understand, it was called Red Hot Ice, the ice being diamonds. And it was a detective story about a stolen diamond and I know that he had a detective story who who told his story in first person, you know, like, my name is Sam Mar Marlowe or Sam Spade or whatever it was. And and I wrote that. I mean, I read that and I thought to myself, this is so neat. And I was about eight or nine years old and said, this is what I want to do sometime in my life. I actually want to be a published writer. So 
Um, I didn't get there right away because, hey, believe it or not, there is no degree in becoming a published writer in New York. That doesn't exist. So, so I did liberal arts. I was a typical English major, and I know a lot about a lot or a little about a lot, let's just say, and a lot about a little. And uh, so anyway, uh, that's how I came to uh, appreciate uh, the mystery genre. Then uh, after I got out of college, I lived and worked in Europe for a year. I actually taught school for the um, the Army. I wasn't in the Army, but I was civilian personnel. And I went to the library because I was living on the German economy. I didn't have a whole lot to do. So I read I read every single Agatha Christie novel that that she ever published. And and again, I got that whole um, goal, that uh, life goal back. You know, this is something I, I actually think I can do, except I can't be a Brit. I cannot be British. So these these cozy mysteries are written in contemporary America, contemporary Mississippi. But a cozy mystery is defined as it does not have profanity. It does not have graphic sexuality. The camera doesn't go into the bedroom. There's not a lot of blood and gore. If somebody gets killed, which they inevitably will, it's talked about as an act. But you don't have five pages of what happens, you know, the, the knife going in, anything like that. It's not CSI. I do have a crime lab in some of the novels who will do something, but I'll just say the crime lab discovered that those fingerprints belong to so-and-so. I won't give you a 30-minute description of doing the little things that they do in a crime lab. It's fascinating on CSI, and I like that kind of thing. But we go through and read pages of it. It's not so interesting. Now from from New York pulp to Mississippi cozies is an is an interesting journey. So how did you how did you settle on Mississippi as your setting? Other than you live there, because I mean it, you don't see a lot of cozies or other mysteries set in Mississippi, except perhaps some Southern Gothic um, uh, style. Yes, uh, I'm I'm with Kensington, and they now have an official imprint called Kensington Cozies. And I am the only one of their writers from the state of Mississippi. Now, they're from all over. A lot of them are from the South, but they're in California and the Midwest and the Mountain uh, West. But Mississippi is my home. When my father started off in New York, he and my mother lived in Greenwich Village in an apartment that my father says had a polka dot toilet seat. So there wasn't anything (laughs) grand about it. (laughs) And, And so... <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that he decided after a, a year or two was that he wanted to do a different type of writing. So he actually studied for the law, moved back down south. He grew up, my mother grew up in Natchez, Mississippi. I grew up in Mississippi. So that's my home state. I did live for 30 years in New Orleans. So I can call the Crescent City my other home too. And New Orleans is a great place to live to get ideas for writing. And so is Natchez. Uh, it's actually two years older than New Orleans, 1716 oh. versus 1718. People don't know that. Um, but but anyway, um, you are told as a writer, and it's true, 
to either know your subject, you either have to grow up knowing your subject, or you better do the research so that you do know it. So that was, I write what I know best, and that is the Deep South, Mississippi, the Deep South with all its flaws. However, it's changing. I'm not writing about the Civil War. I'm not writing about the Civil Rights Movement. I have a diversity of characters in the 21st century. I have people of color. I've had Hispanics. I have a gay character. I have old and young women. I have poor, rich people. I have people with all sorts of problems, addictions. So it is contemporary America as diverse as it is and as diverse as it should be. So I don't want people to think that they're getting some romantic version of the old South here. They're getting a view of the way the country is changing. And you have a strong female character who wants to make a statement with her life. She's not just, she refuses to commit to her boyfriend for a while. He's ahead of her. He wants her to get married right away. She wants to have a career first and get established. So um, she's a different type of woman and he's a different type of man. He's not toxic. He's not a bully. He's patient. He waits for her. And that's the way it should be. That's I mean, see, but that, I know maybe that's fictional, but there are people out there like there. I'm telling you, there are. <laughs> so, so you've written a series that's very much the contemporary uh, New South, just without the blood and guts. That's right. None of that. And and I have in that very first novel, um, I have something that probably at the time. Uh, two years ago, when the Black Lives Movement came 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 along, this novel came out, and the the first suspect, the first person that is accused of these quadruple murders of these women, is the housekeeper and cook, who is a woman of color, and she's unfairly accused of that, and she's become friends with my uh, heroine Wendy as as they have gotten to talk with each other um, during the bridge club sessions, she ends up being Wendy's defender. I mean, being uh, Merlise's defender and they become good friends and they're, they're like sidekicks for it, for each other. And it's an unusual relationship. You have a 40 something woman of color and a 20 something white woman who are connected through real friendship. But they are who they are. I mean, one is from a different culture. The other is from an entirely different culture. And so I think it's interesting that I have envisioned, um, I have a Hispanic bartender who his family years ago escaped Castro's revolution. And I just, he's based on a, t- uh, on a high school teacher that taught in our school system who had escaped Cuba at the time. He taught Spanish. Um, And then I have a gay character and uh, he has an art gallery, but he's not just a stereotype. He's his own person. He takes, he he doesn't suffer fools. None of my characters suffer fools. Let's just say that. (laughs) Uh, That, that, seems to be uh, as my my mother's family is from South Carolina so I, I admit I haven't met many uh, folks down south who do suffer fools lately so what part of South Carolina uh, Dylan originally um, and my aunt now lives and her family now live in Columbia um, actually I have okay. a, a, one cousin in Charleston 
Yes, because I went to school with a lot of guys who were from Charleston, and I had the pleasure of being taken home one Thanksgiving with one of my friends from from Charleston. And um, uh, I've done events in Savannah too, up up the coast a little bit uh, in uh, in in Bluffton. At and also I've seen the Pat Conroy Literary Center up there, and he had the the Low Country down pat. I think we all agree about that. So very nice. I, uh, very interesting to 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 know that you also are from the South. And I'm interested to know in what you're up to next. Will there be a, a fifth uh, Bridge to Death mystery? Or are you writing something different or all of the above? Well, I, I know. Uh, I'm kind of waiting at this point. Uh, I can't be very definite about this. However, I will say this, and it doesn't commit me that this entire series is being read right now by a production company in Hollywood. And I can't go into greater detail. I can only tell you that if they decide to option it, they will have a year to develop it for films, several films, um, streaming services, television. I'm kind of waiting on that. Another contract would, might be contingent on that. So uh, what I can tell you is that I want to continue writing, but right now I'm at a critical juncture. I am in the process of breath holding, you know, holding my breath. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and finger, finger crossing at the same time. But I think these characters have grown a lot. Um, this last one, the, the King Falls, just was released March 29th. And it's got a it got a great review from Kirkus, got a great review from Publishers Weekly. It's already gotten six reviews on Goodreads, four to five stars. The comments that I like the most are that people are saying the characters continue to grow and develop. I like the way the characters are rounding into form. When you do a series, occasionally you'll say, Well, I want to know more about the characters. Hello, it's a series. I can't put everything in the first book. Plus, the other definition of a cozy mystery is that you are expected to develop characters who do grow and change from book to book. They're not static, and life is not static. We all grow. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes it's very dramatic. It's thrust upon us. But most of the time, readers like to see characters change even if they they might project themselves into it and say boy I wish I could be like that or I will try to be more like that and that's the that's the magic of writing is that a a man or a woman can sit down create a universe people connect with it get into it get something out of it and that's kind of a marvelous thing to have happen to people I think and if readers want to experience uh, the magic of your writing and maybe get interested in, in learning to play bridge, where can they buy a copy of the King Falls? Well, it's available as you would expect on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, almost all bookstores. If they don't have it, they can order it for you. It's in print. It's in Kindle. It's on Nook. It's on Audible. It's in audio from Dreamscape. Uh, large print from Centerpoint. So there are just a, a number of formats that you can use. But uh, 
either your bookstore will have it or can order it for you. They can do the whole series for you. The whole series is still available. Now, it is a paperback series. It's not a hardback series. So the price point is lower. And when you get into discounts from companies like Amazon and Barnes and Noble, it's not expensive. You know, you can 10, 11, $12 instead of spending 30 or 40 bucks on a hardcover. So now some people like ebooks and I have no preference at all. I say, as long as you're reading me, I'm happy to know you. I welcome you as a reader in all formats. If you like to hold an actual book and pass it down to your children and grandchildren, that's fine. If you like the the Kindle and the Nook and all of that sort of thing, that's happy too. I'm 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 not gonna I'm I won't be mad at you. So you, whatever you want to do, it is available uh, widely as you would expect books to be. <clears throat> and, and and you did mention it's also available in audio format for folks who like to listen to their books. I don't know if it's possible to listen to it. Can you listen to a book and play bridge at the same time? Is that possible? I, I tell you, you can take bridge. Uh, there might be an audible bridge book somewhere. <laughs> but one of the things that I can tell you is that I've listened to books myself while driving on trips. The only thing is sometimes I've gotten so involved in the audio version of a book that I miss exits. right past the exit and and realize that I'm uh, a chapter too far. So I have to back up and go around. But yeah, um, uh, a lot of people like audios uh, because the man or woman who's reading it has to be good at several voices. They actually try to differentiate the characters. Um, And uh, I think the current series is being done by CCD. That sounds like a rock star, but it's C-I-C-I-D-E-E. It's a woman, okay. and I think she's an actress. You know, it's, it sounds like <laughs> like a rock name, you know, like C-C-D. No, but it, her, that's what her name is. And I've been told that she does a very good do- job of differentiating. So, um, And then if you have Audible, um, then you can... I think once you get into that program, you just download everything and it, you download immediately if you order on Kindle or Nook. <clears throat> okay. you know. and, and where can readers uh, connect with you? Uh, do you have a website? Are you on social yeah. media? I don't have a website, but I, I'm on, I'm on uh, social media on, on Facebook. Um, first of all, you can also uh, connect with me. I uh, have a publicist in New York at Kensington. Um, uh, uh, I guess you can get in touch with her. For instance, if you wanted to do a book talk or a book signing, you get in touch with uh, Jesse Cruz, and that's uh, J, initial J, C R U Z, at kensingtonbooks.com. And the, my Facebook page is has my real name and then my pen name, Robert. I hate to say this because I have to spell it. K-U-E-H-N-L-E-R-J Lee in parenthesis. But um, you can send me a friend request or or you can go on Facebook and say R.J. Lee writer um, and probably connect with me that that way. I do answer. So um, anyway, and uh, that is something that I like to do. I love making new readers. I like paying attention to them uh, when they ask me questions or they give me reviews. Um, I appreciate the fact that they've entered my universe. 
Well, thank you very much for entering my universe and joining me in the corner today. Okay, I appreciate uh, all the time that you took. And uh, everyone out there, curl up with a good read, teach your children to read, teach your grandchildren to read, and you will be much better off. Yes, and teach them to play bridge too. <laughs> okay, that, that, is, that would work. <laughs> And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was R.J. Lee, the author of The King Falls, A Bridge to Death Mystery. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award-winning author and host of the show. Tune in next time for another chat with an author writing on the lighter side of crime. Until then, goodbye.